enter the Ebony Tower podcast, a resource, conversation, and community for and by brilliant yet underrecognized and underrepresented scholars of color. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Ebony Tower podcast. This is Daphne. And this is Rachel. And today we have another episode of Ask Ebony Anything. Yes, we do. Today's questions will cover various aspects of the grad school process from applying to grad school to defending a dissertation. Um, But before we get to those questions, I kind of want to ask you a question, Rachel. How are you doing? Ah, that was so sweet the way you framed that. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I am doing well. You caught me on a good week. Uh, we just had spring break where I'm at. And so I'm feeling rejuvenated. Um, it's the beginning of spring. The Northeast is starting to warm up a little bit. So I'm feeling really good right now. How are you doing? Uh, That's good to hear. So I'm in the Midwest this week or for the next couple weeks. And it's the same. You know, things are starting to heat up outside. I'm a Fitbit, Fitbit fanatic. So I am constantly trying to get my steps in. And over the wintertime, I'm like walking around the house, running around the living room like a crazy person. <laughs> and so for the last week or two, I've actually been able to like step outside and, you know, take a walk around the courtyard. And it's just been really nice. And it's, it's been good for my mental health as well to be able to take a break from work and get a little sunshine, get a little fresh air. So yes, I totally feel you yesterday. I had like just like left my office at around 10. I did like a walk around campus, stopped and got some coffee and then like came back ready to work. And actually I feel like it makes you more productive too, because then when I sit down to work after getting some fresh air and walking around a bit, I like can just really focus in. So Mm -hmm, it's such mm -hmm. a good time of year. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the Pomodoro method? Yes, but... Tell me, do you have experience with it? I've never actually tried it. I've just heard people rave about it. Okay, so for, you know, for those of you who may not have heard of it, there's this idea that you can be very productive with these like shorter bursts of like work followed by a break. And pomodoros are usually timed at about 25 minutes. So you work for 25 minutes, break for five, work for 25 minutes, break for five. And you do that for a few cycles before you take a longer break of like maybe 30 minutes or an hour. I found uh, that I am really productive when I do 50 minutes of work and then take a 10 minute break. And it's funny because it aligns with uh, my Fitbit. It has this timer that goes off at 50 minutes before each hour if I haven't gotten 250 steps in. And so that kind of works for me. I work for 50 minutes, break for 10. That's usually enough to like get some, you know, walk around, get a little coffee, get a little tea or whatever I want, and then sit back down and be prepared to work. Um, So it's just kind of, I do a modified Pomodoro method, but if you guys haven't heard about it, check it out. Uh, You do need breaks. Give your, give your mind a chance to rest and you'll be better prepared to, to do some work. Yeah, maybe I'll try that. You know, I think there was something about when I first heard about that, like 20 minutes, it didn't seem long enough because when I'm like in a vibe, like on a roll, I don't 
like, I think probably my longest and most productive spurts are like 40 minutes. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But maybe I just need to adjust it a little bit. So mm-hmm. thanks for yeah, that tip. I would, I would say just adjust it because I start feeling fatigued at about the 40, 45 minute mark. So it's like if I push myself to 50, I feel good and it's time for a break. 25 minutes is not enough for me either. So Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, time time to get started. Enough about us. I want to get into some of the things that our listeners are facing. Um, yes. So question number one, dear Ebony, I am a junior in undergrad and I know I want to go straight into a PhD program after I graduate. How early should I start preparing my applications for grad school and what should I do first? I feel overwhelmed by all of the letters and tests. Please help me. Oh, man. Yeah, that is... Stephanie, how long ago was it that you applied to graduate school? I think this question is a little bit like <laughs> triggering to me because I realize it's been about almost 10 years. Oh, wow. So my first time applying for graduate school was eight years ago. And then I applied again five years ago, but I didn't go straight from undergrad. I actually worked in between grad school and undergrad. So it's kind of like big ups to you for knowing what you want to do straight out of undergrad and knowing that you want to do a, a PhD program. Like kudos to you for, for knowing that. I definitely didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also took a break before I went to graduate school. I worked for a not-for-profit for a year. I, I would say when I, you know, hear this advice, uh, it's the toward the end of the school year. Uh, if you're a junior, you're going to be applying this this winter, this fall. Deadlines, you know, ranging from like late November to the end of December. So the first thing that comes to mind for me is that you need to use your summer wisely because the fall, you're going to be focused on getting the last of your credits. You're going to be focused on like graduating. You might even decide to apply to some jobs. So if you can do a lot of the heavy lifting this summer, you will thank yourself later. Yeah, I agree. And the letter didn't say anything about whether they've done the research about what schools and programs they even want to apply to. So really give yourself time to even realize what programs are out there, what programs would be ideal for you, um, and not just think about writing your your letters or writing your essays or taking the exams. Um, also, because the applications are going to look different depending on where you apply. So really the first step is to do the research about where you want to go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that's what I was thinking too. If I were you, what discipline do you want to be in? And then start thinking about like what department or what schools, what, you know, areas of the country or region that you would like to be in and find, you know, a list of, I would say, and you might disagree with this, but like upwards of 10 schools that you might think about applying to. Maybe you won't apply to them all, um, but like create a thorough list of schools that you would potentially want to apply to. And once you narrow them down, create a spreadsheet. What are the deadlines? 
Who are some of the faculty members in the department that you're interested in? You know, what are their research areas? What are, you know, some of the latest papers they've written? It's just kind of like do thorough research about the departments that you are thinking about applying to and put it all in a spreadsheet so that you have it somewhere convenient. Yeah. And I would also in that spreadsheet, I would highlight potential advisors. Um, And so if you're getting an early enough jump on this, I would reach out to try to reach out to uh, professors, maybe even before the end of the semester, like right before people leave campus for the summer um, to see if you could schedule some sort of like phone talk or, or maybe corresponding via email. Although I think a phone conversation is probably best mm-hmm. um, just to also get a sense of like, you know, if they're, what what it would be like to actually work with this person, whether this person thinks that you and whatever interest you're bringing to the department is a good fit. I have friends who had that sort of cursory meeting with a potential advisor and were like, oh, no, 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 I can't go to this school. Or the person straight up said, I don't think this is the right program for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And with that advice, do not feel any type of way if they do not respond back to you. You know, sometimes professors are really busy. I also, I've talked to a few professors in my department and they say, you know, because they are on the admissions committee, they don't want to do too much communicating because they don't want to give anyone like a false sense of like whether they'll be admitted or not. So, you know, just realize that some faculty members have different policies around talking to prospective students. It doesn't necessarily mean they are interested in you, but they could be in a position to where they feel, I guess, compromise? I, I don't know. Um, but they just don't want yeah, that to makes give. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so don't feel any type of way. And trust me, sometimes when we're in departments, we don't get responses back from professors. So that is that, true. <laughs> so you, you definitely shouldn't feel any type of way. That's just a little tea right there. Yes. Um, you know, and that also makes me think about how, you know, if you're getting a an early start to your applications, that means you get an early start to figuring out who your letters of recommendation are going to come from mm-hmm. to alerting them and letting them know. Um, mm-hmm. And also to maybe set up for yourself uh, potential editors or readers for your letters and essays for the application. Yes. So you like Rachel mentioned earlier, you might not necessarily get a full draft of your essays done. And again, each department, they might ask for different things. Uh, so in the summertime, maybe you could work on like a just a, a template uh, because you will have to customize for every single school if you actually want to show them that you're interested in their department. But if you do that early enough, you have time to send it off to uh, whether it's friends, whether it's an advisor from your undergraduate institution have them read it and then you have plenty of time to revise. I would also say save some money. It can be really expensive to apply to graduate school, especially if the program doesn't have waivers or maybe you're not eligible for waivers. So save a little bit of money. Do you remember how much you spent on applications, Rach? Oh, wow. No, I really don't. And I do think that I was eligible for some waivers. Okay. Um, but I also, I was working like as a admin assistant around the time that I was applying. Mm-hmm. So also, and living at home. So I sort of put some of that money, I think, into my graduate school 
applications. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I paid for editor. I had everything professionally um, proofread and edited. So I. Dang, girl. Look, <laughs> I was not playing. I, was, I mean, you are also a Harvard PhD <laughs> candidate, too. So good for you. But it, it was something I saw it as like an investment. So, you know, I I spent quite a bit of money on that because I applied to a lot of different schools. I got things edited and, you know, so, yeah, I did. And unfortunately, I had taken the GRE like so far in the past that I actually had to pay for my scores to be submitted because it, it wasn't like my first go around. I was using old GRE scores. So that was that oh. kind of sucked for me. Yeah, I was going to say the question of tests, I really feel like I can't provide much. I don't know if I like erased it from my brain. <laughs> like it's so like so traumatic that I just erased it. I don't remember anything about GRE. I remember getting a book from the library mm-hmm. and thinking like this is miserable mm-hmm. and doing it while I was working, but I don't I don't really remember much, but you know, there are different, again, if you're putting money to the side, there are like the books, there are the courses, whatever it is you think you need to be successful. Absolutely. This is an investment for your future. So you should do it. Mm -hmm. I actually took a course that compared to like Princeton Review and some of the other courses, it was relatively inexpensive. And I did that at a local university. They had one, I think it was like 200 or 300 bucks. And it came with a, you know, a book and like multiple sessions, you know, versus paying like thousands of dollars for like Princeton review courses and stuff like that. So check your local community colleges, check your local universities to see if they have prep courses, but also check the schools that you're applying to, to see if they even require the GRE. Cornell and Harvard's English departments actually just dropped the GRE uh, requirement. That's awesome. I had Mm -hmm. no idea. Mm -hmm. It just happened. So, but yeah, uh, I think those are, you know, major pieces of advice. Use the summer, whether it's for saving, whether it's for, you know, drafting essays, doing extensive research, because while you're doing coursework, you might not have a chance to be as thorough as you are in the summer when you have a little bit more time. So, Use the summer wisely. All right. So before we move on to the next question, Daphne, I have a related add-on question here. Okay. Okay. Um, it says, Dear Ebony, I'm trying to write a letter of recommendation for myself oh my to God. give to a professor, and I realized that I don't know how to give props to myself or to my project. How do I start? That's a good question, huh? I've been put in that position. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so awkward. It sucks. Uh, it's something that a lot of people do not talk about, about the fact that you might ask someone for a letter of recommendation and they expect you to write it yourself. It's, it's such an awkward position because you're like, I'm not a professor. I don't know how to speak like a professor. I don't know what they say in these things. But what, what have you done when you've been put in that position? So uh, what I did was rather than think about how I would give myself props because I think you're right. Like as a as a graduate student, it's really actually hard to see sometimes your strengths when you're in the thick of it. But I thought about what um, a granting agency or what this potential like job would want from its candidate. 
Um, so I mm-hmm. structured my letter in terms of that, right? Mm-hmm. So they would want to know, I'm thinking specifically the first letter I had to write was like for um, funding to go do my field work. Mm-hmm. I figured funding agencies would want to know that I could successfully complete this field work. So mm-hmm. um, I wrote a paragraph about how, you know, the methodologies of this project are sound and, you know, I believe that this person will be able to complete this project. Um, also that my research was unique in the field. And since they were in a particular field, I wrote it from the perspective of a professor who's in that field who says, you know, this project is unique. It considers these questions from this angle and is in conversation with X, Y, Z. Yeah, so that's how I tried to do it. I also uh, tied in what I expected to do like through my relationship with that professor mm-hmm. and put that into the letter. So, um, you know, um, I've spoken with the student about doing like uh, working together throughout the process at various points to check in to make sure that the research is is unfolding the way it should, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. What what have you done? That's pretty good. (laughs) I I Googled and I was just like, because for me, it was like, I wanted to start like, how do professors speak when they're writing a letter of recommendation? So I just wanted to just like Google to just read letters of recommendation. And that gave me a better idea. I do know they usually start with like, how do you know this person in what capacity? So, you know, kind of a paragraph like, about that, similar to Rachel. Talk a little bit about the project from the perspective of a professor and the contributions that you think the professor would say you're making to the field. What else have I I, you know, I try to, I won't lie. I, you know, I add in a little bit like, you know, she's tenacious. She's, you know, all, you know, I, I, yep. you look, synonyms. <laughs> if you're going to ask me to write a letter of recommendation for myself, I'm going to make myself sound very awesome. And, you know, the adjectives that I try to use for myself, you want them to be appropriate, uh, but you want them to convey that you're going to see a project through, that you are committed to, you know, the research and what you're doing. You're highly capable. So, you know, I, I try to throw in some like interpersonal things that are appropriate for describing an advisee. Yeah, I think you're right to point out. And, you know, it's interesting now as a postdoc, students have been writing, asking me to write letters of recommendation for things. Mm -hmm. So on the other side now, I see that a really good aspect of a letter of recommendation is the extent to which you can be very personal or Mm -hmm. personalized or give personalized examples. Mm -hmm. Um, And so think about that as well. So like, you know, uh, if you can talk about a specific project that you did in a class with this professor and how they gauged that project that you submitted or whatever it was, those kinds of personal examples, I think, make a really rich letter of recommendation. I agree with that. And another thing I wanted to add on is you could also use whatever you're applying for. They usually give some type of criteria for selection or some type of attributes they're looking for in an applicant. Use those as kind of like a signposts or, or major points to hit. So for instance, for the Ford Fellowship, they list, you know, five different attributes they look for in a Ford Fellow. 
make sure that your letter hits all of those things. And like Rachel said, try to do the do that by using specific examples that that particular professor can actually speak to. Yeah, I completely agree. That's great advice. Yeah, yeah. And I was about to say, even if a professor does not ask you to write your own letter of recommendation, you still want to do a good job of providing the any professor what they need to write you a strong letter of recommendation. Whenever I ask someone for a letter of recommendation, I put together a very, very extensive recommendation packet. It will have the criteria for selection for whatever I'm applying for. It will include a bulleted list. And this list is often like three or four pages long of things that they should be able to say about me based on our experiences together. So things that they should be able to say about my research. What should they be able to say about my teaching? I give them the examples that they can rewrite in their own language. I give them my CV I give them an overview of the project if it's relevant. So it's just kind of like, even if they don't ask you to write it, you should know how to sell yourself. You got what I'm saying? You should know what you bring to any position you want to apply for, any fellowship you want to apply for, and give it to professors so that you know that they aren't writing some generic letter of recommendation for you. Yeah, you know, that's great advice. And that's something that I've been working with uh, undergraduate students with as well. Mm -hmm. When they ask me for letters of recommendation, I immediately like answer them back like, um, yes, however, you know, (laughs) like I need to see your CV. I need to see the letter essays you wrote for this, whatever opportunity it is, like send me this supplementary material that lets me know what it is that you think you're bringing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Know what you bring to the table. Don't expect someone else to know if you don't know. So that's all I'll say. Yes. Wonderful. (laughs) Okay. uh, So we have two more questions. Uh, This is the next one. Dear Ebony, I've been admitted to three really awesome graduate programs, but I'm not sure which one I should choose. What types of things should I consider before I make my decision on April 15th? Huh. Well, I we actually have a few articles on the website about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing Daphne and I often talk about is location, location, location. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to be in graduate school or in a PhD program for a long time, and you should really think about where it is you will be happiest um, because... The experience is hard. It's tough. It can be alienating. And so all the aspects of whatever it is that you need to have to feel supported, make sure that you prioritize that in this decision. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. Um, along that lines, I hope you've taken the opportunity to visit all three to get a feel of the city, to get a feel of the department, to, you know, the people, just all of that is so important. Do not make that decision blind. One thing I also want to say is 
Don't let anyone pressure you into making that decision before April 15th if you're not ready. I'm pretty sure you have been bombarded by emails from faculty members, from students, you know, from the director of graduate studies, all trying to convince you that they are the right program. And, you know, they're pushing you to like let them know as soon as possible. Um, but if you're not ready, don't push yourself into being ready. Um, on the you know same token, if you know you're not going to select one of those programs, if you know you're like never that program, go ahead and let them know so that they can you know maybe let a waitlist person in, and that's only if you know for sure. So I would say that's another piece of advice that I have. Yeah, no, that's great advice. Um, also, money. Think about money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who's offering it to you? How much you need to live in a particular place? These are all important questions to consider. And when we talk about money, you know, think about the stipend amount. That's important. But you should also consider what other sources of like institutional support your university offers. Are you getting summer funding? Are you getting conference funding? Uh, yes. Are you getting conference funding? Do they Our offer- graduate student union? Yes. Um, do they offer maternity funding or paternity support? Is mental health support included in your health insurance? Do you oh, have health insurance? Yes. Do you have health insurance? Do you have dental insurance? Um, do they offer like travel support? Not just to conferences, but like for instance- My program, they gave me a lump sum before I arrived to help me move across the country. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't have to go into debt or think about my first mom's rent when I got there. So it's just kind of like, you know, like who's showing you the money and showing you that, you know, they, they really want you there. It's funny because I liked one program and I liked you know, the person that would have been my potential advisor, but they did not offer summer funding. I would have had to try to find a job. And I was like, nah, like, uh uh-uh. Because all the other programs were offering some type of summer support. And the master's program that I was coming from, I was technically in a PhD program, although I left with my master's, I had always been paid over the summer. So I wasn't going to put myself in a position to where I'm like about to be struggling. And I wanted to use my summers to actually get a lot of my research and work done. And so when I, when I responded to them and, you know, I asked them, before I turned them down, I was like, is there any way you can offer summer funding? These other programs are, it's really important to me. They were like, no. So I sent them an email and turned them down. Like, thank you. I really liked the program, but you know, this is what was important to me. And I accepted the offer from Harvard. Don't you know that they like responded back with like a, we will give you X amount in summer funding before you arrive. We'll give you this bridge opportunity where you can move up up early and that will help pay for your expensive like where was this before I turned you down well you know you now bring out a very or bring up a very good point that even I haven't thought about until this very moment which is at the point that you have more than one school interested in you you're now negotiating you're negotiating mm-hmm. like you would any other job which mm-hmm. means you have leverage so mm-hmm. yeah maybe play up that leverage Yes, yes. Um, So like if there's a program that you like more 
but they aren't offering as much funding as like another program, you know, just kind of ask the question like, hey, is this possible? And see what they're willing to do. And hopefully they're willing to make that offer before you turn them down and not after you've already made your decision. Because at that point, it's a little bit too late. (laughs) (laughs) I would just want to say potential advisor is not just about academic fit. It's also about interpersonal fit. Did you get good vibes when you met this person? Did any graduate students try to like sneak warn you about the person? Because some graduate students, they won't come outright and say it because they don't know if they can trust you to keep that on the low that like someone told you. Um, But like graduate students, they'll try to throw out clues about the person you might be working with, whether that's good things about them or not so great things about them. So did you pick up any clues? Did you pick up any vibes? Yeah. And you know, this is actually something I learned a little bit from my uh, experience. So I was at an institution and I hadn't thought about this before um, that would only let us TA courses. We didn't actually teach courses and it was had to do with the the school being able to market itself as being a place where only professors um, taught courses, not graduate students, Mm -hmm. even though they have so many adjuncts, it's like ridiculous. So anyway, but you know, if you know that teaching is important to you in the long run and that you would like to have that experience, um, or you would like formal courses or, or opportunities to learn how to teach, that's also something that some PhD programs completely don't Offer. Mm-hmm. And then later you're expected to figure out how to teach and you've not been properly prepared. So consider that as well, depending on whether you think in the long run you want to be a teacher or if you think you'll be more on the research side of things. Yeah, that's a good question. And if you do think you want to be more on a research uh, side of things and you choose a department where the only way for you to earn money is through TAing like multiple courses per semester or teaching your own course. Just know that it makes it more difficult for you to publish and get research done and, and things like that. So I, I think any department should be a good balance of getting teaching opportunities when you want them, but also having research opportunities, paid research opportunities to where you can step away from teaching at certain points when you need to, because that grading is no joke. I remember one semester I taught and I, I couldn't get anything done because I was just grading so much and preparing so much. So Yeah. Yeah. That's really tough. Uh, Anything else that you want to add? No, I think those are the biggest things. Congratulations on, you know, being accepted, having That's right. That's the biggest thing. Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Make the right decision for you. Don't feel bad about turning these programs down. Trust and believe they turned a lot of other people down. Um, (laughs) So it's just kind of like, that's a part of the game. You know, people try to guilt trip you like, oh, we really wanted you Okay, it's about you. Do what's best for you. Absolutely. And, you know, also keep in mind, if you feel like at some point down the line you made the wrong choice, you're never stuck. And use Daphne as an example. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You are are not. But we can talk about that in another episode because you do have to navigate that. 
Yes. That yes. that is very political. You have to navigate that right. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For our last question today, um, it reads Dear Ebony, I'm close to the end of my PhD and my defense is scheduled for a few weeks from now. Ooh. Of course, I'm freaking out. What do I need to do to prepare and feel confident on my big day? Mm. First of all, congratulations. You are almost finished with the yes. PhD. Finished. Finished. Congratulations. It's a big step. If you've gotten to the defense date, if your committee allowed you to schedule, you know, that's generally a good sign because I've always been told that, well, good committee is not going to let you schedule and then fail you. So, um, and, you know, I haven't defended yet. So my advice can only be limited to preparing presentations of my research, like at conferences. I do not want to step into a presentation of any sort without actually scripting out every single word I want to say and practicing it multiple times so that I just feel confident about what I'm going to say and that I feel comfortable. And I might not be as scripted while I'm doing it, but if I know the script, then I, you know, I can kind of just breeze through it a little bit more. But Rachel, you have been through this. So I'm, I'm actually going to pass the baton to you and you can, you know, I'm going to jot down some notes myself. <laughs> yeah. So I was going to say, actually, not the opposite of what you said, but <laughs> I think you're correct about the scriptedness part. And that is important for your opening statements. So most defenses, you sort of do an opening statement and it's not very long. Um, I think for me, it was like 10 minutes. So less than you, a paper that you would give at a conference, let's say. And you're sort of summing up the big parts of your dissertation, the big arguments, the so what question, the significance question. Um, and that should be scripted and you should feel comfortable and ready to go with that. And then other than that, man, you've put in the work for years. You wrote this. This is your baby. There's not a word on that page that didn't come from you. You know more about this topic than you think you do. You know everything. In that room, you're the expert. Um, and so the best advice that I got in that those weeks before defense was to just take care of myself, to relax, to make sure I was prepared for that opening statement. And like, other than that, man, take a break. I mean, it's funny because we're so engrossed in the dissertation for so long. And then like the instinct in the, this time before defense is to like reread 400, 300 pages again, make sure you know everything. Trust yourself. You know everything. You wrote it. So what's important in that moment is to relax, to take care of yourself. You've probably been neglecting self for a long time, especially towards the end of your dissertation writing process. I think I did a lot of uh, meditating, a lot of sort of sleep and wellness, drinking lots of water, starting to exercise again in that time beforehand, trying not to panic, <laughs> which takes a lot of work. And I'm happy I did because honestly, when my defense came, if I had stressed out that entire time, it wouldn't have made my defense go any smoother. In fact, maybe it would have been less smooth because I would have just been anxiety ridden. 
And once I got into like the banter and the conversation between me and my committee members, I was like, oh, I'm the expert. And everybody in the room knows you're the expert. So if they pose you a question, right, like they expect you to know how to answer that. And anything that comes up that's really difficult, you can sort of tuck into the like, oh, I will consider that. And Mm. that doesn't take away from your from your defense, right? Like that's not the thing you get failed in a defense for, for saying that's an interesting perspective. I decided to go this way, but I'll consider that. I'm the queen at those kinds of skills. Cause you have to have them when you're in conferences, you know? Um, so yeah, I would say congratulations. Try to just like Get your 10-minute or however long it is, speech, written, scripted, know that. And then other than that, like, relax and really enjoy this moment. You're so close to the end. Yeah. Listen to Rachel, y'all, because I'll have y'all stressed out. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, don't, don't try to script like two hours of conversation. Don't do that. <laughs> no, because I, Rachel, I am that person. When I have my oral exam, I tried to think of every single question that they could potentially ask me. And I scripted a response for every single question. Oh, every Daphne, single no. question. <laughs> but I'm crazy, y'all. So no. <laughs> were you do you not did it make you feel more comfortable or did that contribute to more stress for you? Um no. So for me, my mind it sometimes runs like a hundred miles per minute. And I feel like knowing what I'm going to say or having an idea, it, it kind of slows me down. And I don't, I don't, I don't like feeling like I will ever get stuck. So that helped me, but I could see how that would stress somebody else out. You know, it's funny because I actually anticipated this crazy question that I just, I knew the person on my committee. I knew her well enough. And I was like, how much you want to bet she's going to ask me this? And I thought of this the night before the exam and I scripted it out. And sure enough, she asked me and it made me feel good because I was like, boo, yeah, I got yeah, you're like, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready, ready for this. Yeah. I don't think she was expecting that. I, that's just how I am. But you know what? I think it's also different. Like I didn't really know what they were going to ask in my oral exam. But I think for your dissertation, like you said, you've written the dissertation, you know the research, you technically should be prepared for that. So I I do think an oral exam is probably very different from like a dissertation defense. Yeah. You know, I do remember like in a moment of like, I don't know what to do with myself, Googling like what questions come up on your dissertation defense. And, you know, so like, a lot of websites have like maybe like 10 questions, maybe inside higher ed had some. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I looked at those questions and I was like, okay, I'm prepared to answer all of that. And that made me feel better. And then I could also not uh, be so concerned about what questions were going to come up or not come up. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. And imagine too, if you have a committee member who's been bringing up the same thing, like, oh, why did you use critical race theory rather than a Marxist approach? Then like, you can expect that person to continue to be the same person they've been this entire right process and journey and bring uh-huh. up that question again. 
Exactly, exactly. And that question I thought of the night before my oral exam, it was a question they had brought up like months before. And I was like, mm, this might come up again. So let me let me do that. So yeah, be prepared for the questions that you already know they're going to ask. And I guess everything else you you should know. You did the research, you did the writing. So yeah, it's okay to be a little bit swaggy once you get to the <laughs> once you get to your defense. Like the entire process is so is is for me it was like pretty demoralizing, really did a number on my self-confidence. Um but like the dissertation is the first step of many that sort of rebuilds your confidence. So you can get a little swaggy. It's your baby, it's your research. Yes, yes. But yeah, congratulations on getting there. That'll be me, you know, in almost a year. Very soon. Very soon. I speak that. I speak that. Yes. So yeah, congratulations to everyone who's graduating from undergrad and uh, applying to those who have been admitted and they're about to make their big decision and to those who are about to defend and professors. Let's help our students out when they ask for letters of recommendation. Yes, yes. <laughs> and tell them what they should put in there. Like, yeah, if you're going to yeah. tell them to write it. It's so funny. I wonder if years from now we'll, we'll be those professors. <laughs> Right. I'll be like, I uh, write your own letter and then I'll sign it. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> I have I have decided what type of professor I'm I'm going to be. So I think about who I am as a student. Okay. And I want my students to do exactly what I do for professors who don't ask me to write. I give them everything they need to write a good one. So it's going to be in my syllabus or it's going to be what I talk about at the beginning of the class. If you want me to write a letter of recommendation for you, you need to know how you fit whatever fellowship or opportunity that you want me to write about. Like, don't expect me to know things about you that you haven't figured out for yourself. So help me help you. I'm going to write it, but also give me something to go on. And I'll give them my recommendation packet as an example so that they can see how thorough I am. But, you know, I apply for fellowships this fall. And like one uh, professor was like, wow, I haven't been able to write that strong of a letter of recommendation in years. And that's because of everything you gave me. So, yeah, that's great advice. Yeah. Mm. But uh, yeah, that that's it for uh, Ask Ebony Anything. If you have like questions in the future, you want us to answer some of your questions, you can always tweet us or email us at info at the Yes, we're on Twitter at the Ebony Tower underscore. And we're also on Facebook and on Instagram. And thank you so much for joining us. Yes, yes. And see you next time. Bye. If you're interested in being featured on the Ebony Tower, have topic ideas, or simply want to ask Ebony anything, visit our website, www.theebonytower.com, or email us at info at Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Ebony Tower. And please don't forget to rate and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform.